third portion is from the Gospels. Gospel of John, chapter 7, a few verses, 37 to 39. And uh, it's an Anglican tradition, not just an Anglican one, but a tradition one, that when you hear the words of Jesus, you stand. So please rise. I know we told you to sit down, but now you have to stand. It's because you're actually in an Anglican gym class. But you are also in the presence of a king. And you stand in the presence of a king. Brothers and sisters, the good news according to John. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. It is no small an honor to take this pulpit. Not only is it the first Protestant church in the Middle East, our wild neighborhood. I say our because those who serve here in this house will live here. Our children serve in the military here. Our prayers count here. Your prayers as well. But this is also the church that is called the Jewish Protestant Church of Jerusalem, probably the one that hails back most directly to the age of the early apostles, the very scriptures we heard of tonight, the book of Acts in chapter 2, the gospel of John chapter 7. And since this church likes announcements, I have one too, Aaron. Yeah, I have an announcement. I've been thinking about this, and this is my announcement. Oh, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in oneness. For there the Lord commands His blessing, life everlasting. Think about it, because it is us. It can be us, wherever we are, those of us who are here in the flesh and those of us who are here in the spirit from wherever you are in this God's blessed earth. As we dwell together as one, the Hebrew text says, Shevet Achim Gam Yachad, in oneness, one spirit, one Lord, one baptism, one table, one faith, one confession. Many characters, one destiny. And as we dwell together in this oneness, he promised, he promised. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send a prophet. He promised that he will bless our Shevet Achim Gamyachad, the sitting together of the brethren. So enjoy the next 45 minutes or so. And... Enter into the presence of the Lord. Pentecost is the fourth feast of Israel. Out of the seven feasts of the Lord, Passover, the blood of the Lamb, 
unleavened bread, the sinless bread. The Lord Yeshua said, I am the bread of life. Eat of me. He didn't say you have to get three years of Bible school, understanding everything about end time eschatology. It won't hurt. But it won't replace the feeding of him. There was a day when he told the disciples, eat my flesh, drink my blood. If you won't, you won't have a part in me. And the scripture says that many were offended. It was a little too much, especially probably for a bunch of kosher-minded Jews who weren't thinking about cannibalism at the time. But he means, and he says, my words, they are spirit and they are life. So come to the feast and feed with us on the Lord, on his word. Second feast was unleavened bread. The third feast, the resurrection from the dead, the first fruits, the very morning when our Lord Yeshua rose from the grave on time, on the very feast day. The fourth feast, 50 days later, this weekend. Shavuot, the feast of weeks. Count 70 weeks and celebrate the harvest of the midsummer feast. On the first Pentecost, according to biblical calendar and Jewish tradition, the law was given at Sinai. On the second Pentecost, 1,500 years later, the Spirit was given on Mount Zion. Just a stone's throw away from where you had your cappuccino this morning or your falafel at lunch. Right here, within the walls of this city. This city that is called the city of peace. Yerushalayim. Ir Shalom. The city of peace. And yet it has known more war, more attacks, more hostilities, more trouble than any other place on the face of the earth. Fourteen times. Enemies marched upon our wall. Fourteen times they tried to burn our gates Demolish our walls, burn our temple, rape our women, kill our babies. Fourteen times they planted their flags upon our city walls. Fourteen times they hold their demon gods into our temple to worship the devil. And they're all gone. Gone. You have to look for those enemies in the history books. They collect dust. In the Israel Museum down the street. And Zechariah said that Jerusalem will stand where Jerusalem always stood. Why? Because it is a symbol of the covenant of God. It is the symbol of the word of his promise. So the fourth feast, the feast of Pentecost, is all about the coming of the Spirit, which will be our topic today. But lest you fall into the air of thinking that the Holy Spirit appeared on the day of Pentecost, let's take a swift overview and see when the career of that incredible divine person called the Holy Spirit, the theologians call him the third person of the Godhead, but he's always there. He's with the Father, he's with the Son, and the work always goes on. In fact, some of the Hebrew scholars that we read on occasion tell us that the Holy Spirit may have some female characteristics from the Godhead. And that makes perfect sense. Because God created man in his image, male and female created he them. 
in Genesis in the creation account. And so we read about the Holy Spirit right from the start. Genesis chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. That in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, right there, 17 words and you find the Trinity working together. God created the heavens and the earth, the Father. The Spirit is hovering upon the face of the deep, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And the Word appears. The Father said, Jesus comes. The Word. Long before He became flesh, He was already the Word, the execution of the mind of God. And the Holy Spirit was with us from the beginning. In fact, this entire book was inspired by the Spirit. The interpretation of the book as we speak to one another in our Bible studies and in our church meetings is by the aid of that Spirit. We don't draw breath without the Spirit of God. And the book ends in Revelation chapter 22, the very nearly final verses of this blessed prophecy. And we read in chapter 22 of Revelation that the Spirit, verse 17, and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the waters of life freely. From the beginning of the tale to its very end, the Spirit of God breathes upon us. God created men from the dust of the earth. And here we were, just the cutest little clay statue. Laying in the middle of a perfect garden, lifeless, hopeless, beautiful, useless. Until the Lord God gave us resuscitation. And the Bible says that the Lord God breathed the spirit of life, Ruach Chaim, into our nostrils. And we, you and I, became a living soul. Wake up and smell the hummus. Wake up to a brand new man, Adam, and your wife, Chava. Wake up. Gain consciousness and enter into your history, saith the Lord. But things turn sour pretty quickly, and we will leap into the next chapters. Humanity becomes darkened. Demons begin to roam the earth. Fallen angels begin to marry into the daughters of men. The champions of old show up. The, the giants, the famous men of renown. And the earth is so corrupt that Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3 says that the Lord God proclaimed my spirit. Again, he's working with his spirit. Shall not strive with men forever. For he is indeed flesh. And his days shall be barely 120, and even that went down and down and down after the flood, when the canopy changed, when the oxygen levels of the atmosphere dropped, when the, when the nutrition value of our foods vanished. The earth is cursed. I love organic food. My wife watches over me, and my daughters are worse yet. We eat healthy. Hallelujah. But I have to remind myself every day, yet this earth is cursed. No matter how organic it is and how many times we purify our waters, we live in a contaminated environment and we need a Savior. History goes on. 
things go from bad to worse. But the beautiful thing is that the Spirit keeps appearing. And he is, or she is, our subject tonight. The interesting chapter that we read out of Numbers in chapter 11, you have to appreciate the genius of the folks who came up with the lectionary, the portions of scriptures that we can choose for our messages from this pulpit and others. And they gave us the option to choose Numbers in chapter 11, an obscure, strange piece of scripture the context is three days after Israel leaves Mount Sinai. They have the law, they have the instructions, they have the tabernacle, they're heading out, they even had the manna. Love it. Heavenly popcorn. The Bible says it was delicious. Tasted like a little wafer, some kind of a morning organic waffle. Tasted like honey, it says. Perfect health, 100% nutrition. But given the nature of mankind, we got pretty sick of the divine provisions. And the people began to, ouch, complain. And I pointed myself. We, the Jews, know how to complain. And you Gentiles probably learned a few tricks as well, huh? If you look in the mirror long enough. And people began to complain. We miss the hummus. We miss the steak. We miss the shrimps. Whatever it is, they miss, they miss. They began to complain to God. In fact, Moses was so distraught. He tells, he tells the Lord, if you read that chapter, look into the fine details. He said, I'm so sick of it. Kill me. And you take care of this bunch of unlawly ingrates. That's the context. Of the Lord telling Moses, pick up 70 guys, judges, leaders of their tribes, bring them over and place your hands upon them. And the spirit that is upon you shall come upon them to help bear the burden of the people. Very few times in the scripture do we see a corporate outpouring of the spirit. Usually it's very individualized and it is private, one-on-one. -on -one. A couple of times, a few times, this is actually the only time. In the Old Testament, that a whole group of people were slain by the Spirit, if to use charismatic terminology, and they began to prophesy. I love this. Old Testament conditions, right next to Moses' tabernacle, the Ten Commandments are waving over their heads, and they are prophesying. Once. The Bible says, didn't do it again. Once was probably enough. I wonder... Aaron, what did they prophesy about? Eh? He leaves us an open page. The New Testament writers tells us that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Perhaps they spoke about the coming Savior. Perhaps they gave Israel hope to, to, hope to believe that there's a solution coming in the future. Just keep going. Keep marching through the wilderness into the promised land. When Joseph was brought before Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, who, now that he interpreted the dreams and the conditions, the true conditions of Egypt are, are ahead of them on the table, and Pharaoh declares, who can we find a man upon whom there is the Spirit of God to lead us out of trouble? Every time the world continues to go from bad to worse, and that famine, by the way, in Genesis that sent the family of Jacob into Egypt, scholars tell us it was a global famine. 
Millions upon millions probably perish all over the world. And Pharaoh says, we need a man with the Spirit of God upon him. The Spirit was always there. When it was time to build a tabernacle in the wilderness, God tells Moses, pick up Bezalel. A guy named Bezalel in the shadow of God, upon whom is the Spirit of God. He has all the work of arts, the weaving and the painting and the sculpting, and he made it beautiful. The Spirit of God keeps shining. Caleb, when it's time to spy out the land, upon whom there is a different spirit, the Bible says. Joshua, God says to Moses, lay your hands upon him. We need a general to take us into the land because upon him is the Spirit of God. Every junction, every turning point, every focal point of human interaction and moving forward by the Lord's plan, the Spirit shows up. He leads us. He guides us. He fashions us. All the judges, all of them, read the book of Judges, and you see that each and every one of them had the Spirit of God at some point or another, bang, resting upon them with initiatives, with ideas, with courage, with all the stuff that we need in life, the Spirit of God. David, when Samuel found him hiding among the sheep, he went through all the brothers one by one by one. None of them were qualified. And the Lord says, there must be another one. Yeah, the runt, he's out there with the hogs, with the sheep. Bring him over. And Samuel poured the oil upon David's head with a horn. And the Spirit of God, 1 Samuel 16, came upon him. And the rest of David's career was anointed. Yes, I know he was a great guy. Far from perfect. But great, got a lot done for us, didn't do bad at all. Probably was the richest person in the universe ever other than Jesus. When you count what he left to his son Solomon to build up the house of the Lord, it is in the trillions of trillions of trillions. All by the Holy Spirit. Not only did David receive the Holy Spirit, but we read in Psalm 51, and this one is worth quoting right from the Word, because he had a few low points, as you remember. And in Psalm 51, Nathan, his own personal prophet. Do you have one? I do. At home. If you don't have one, get one. Somebody will volunteer. Somebody who will tell you the truth. Somebody who will remind you of the priorities. Somebody who will make your life uncomfortable sometimes and serve you well. His personal prophet shows up after he went into Bathsheba. This was an all-time low. He sent a whole brigade of warriors, choice, special forces into battle, knowing they're all going to get nailed, knowing he sends them into certain death so that Uriah can be slaughtered, so that. He can have legal rights to Bathsheba. So as the Lord deals with David and conviction sets in and Nathan comes over to help him realize what he had done, Psalm 51 is the cry of his heart. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The rest of the psalm is a reiteration of that same cry for mercy. And the Hebrew words here are profound. David, 
not a scholar, a warrior, a poet, a worshiper, tells the Lord three kinds of sins from which he needed deliverance. Blot out all my transgressions, my crimes. Let my crimes be blotted out. Second, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Kabes otime avoni, the Hebrew says. He says, put me in the laundry machine from my iniquities. Iniquities relate to the generational flaws that run in our blood, that are in your cellular level, that are in our, in our DNA. You didn't choose them. You were born with it. All of us, born in sin. David explained to us exactly how it worked. Speaking by the Spirit of the living God, he says, I was born in sin, conceived in unrighteousness. I don't know how he realized it other than by inspiration, but David understood that the moment his father's seed hit his mother's egg in the darkness in the secret of the womb, he was already doomed cursed and needed salvation. And at the end of this psalm, he says in verse 10, at the end of his cry, create in me, O God, a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. A thousand years before the cross, a thousand years before Pentecost, David spoke about and wanted to get the Holy Spirit again. So it's not a doctrine. It's not a Bible study about the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead. No. It's our life we are talking about. Every breath that we take, the hope of our eternal salvation, the redemption that the Lord is working in our lives. Marvelous things that only the Holy Spirit can work in us. All the prophecies, the marvelous prophecies regarding the coming of the Messiah, all of them are under the canopy, the supervision, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah gave us some of the best of them. Isaiah in chapter 11. We'll look into a couple of them quickly to appreciate the presence of that Spirit. Isaiah 11, verse 1, there shall be come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. The house of Jesse will be mowed down. The kingdom of David will come to nearly complete end, but there will come a rod. A branch shall grow out of his roots. Have you ever seen an olive tree that was chopped down completely? I've seen them oftentimes. They have something in them that so wants to live. Something in them that is so bound to rise again that they grow brand new branches coming right out from the root system. And if you give them enough time, they will bear fresh fruits. That's what the Lord prophesied about. He said, it's going to look bad. It's going to be a long exile. It's going to be difficult. But a rod will come forth and a branch will grow up. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon the Spirit again. He's introducing a Savior, not without the Spirit. 
shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Seven spirits are going to typify, are going to, to classify, if you would, the coming of that branch person. The heir that will sit upon the throne of David. Seven spirits. Can they possibly relate to the seven spirits that the apostle John saw before the throne of God in the heavens in the book of Revelation? I think so. And then Isaiah in chapter 61 tells us probably what I would like to call in my Reuven language the most nuclear messianic prophecy ever. Jesus quoted that word, Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. He walked into his synagogue. Remember that day? Recorded in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 4. The Lord is done with the devil, at least for a while. He spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting in the wilderness. Under spiritual assault, hungry, thirsty, the gospel writers tells us that the angel of the Lord and the wild beasts ministered to him. If you don't have a dog or a cat or a bird or something, get one. The animals minister to us dearly if you have the heart to receive it. They did to the Lord Yeshua. It's in the Bible. And he comes back to the Galilee by the power of the Spirit. And he begins to walk and talk into the synagogues on the Sabbath. When we rest, when we nap, when we fix our good meals, this was the primary day of warfare for the Son of God. Every Sabbath, he dealt with the devils. Every Sabbath, he dealt with the religious spirits. Every Sabbath. He rebuked the demons. Every Sabbath, he healed the sick. Got to love him. He's committed to us. We rest. He labors on our behalf. He still does. And then he says, the first synagogue that is mentioned by name, he walked in chapter 4 of Luke into his own home synagogue of Nazareth. I probably err in repeating something I've said from this pulpit before, but this is dear to my heart. Of all the synagogues in the world, this was the worst for him. Everybody knows him. They remember Mary's bastard boy, the illegitimate son. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, we heard the stories, the angel, the spirit, for sure we did. No one believed it. What do you think? Would you have believed it? She shows up with a belly, unmarried. Hardly anyone believed. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He bore our shame, and he turned not his face from it. We're not dealing with theology. We're dealing with reality. And the Word of God still wants to become flesh every day, in everyone, all the time. This is not a Bible study. This is a welcome to the table of the Lord service. The musicians, the singers, the prayer leaders, the pastors, the ministers of this church, Inviting all of us to come to the table of the Lord and eat of the reality of His life, the blessed life of the Son of God. 
and he walks into his own home synagogue. By now, he had some reputation, so they respected it, invited him in, gave him the scroll of the book, and it was handed to him and opened up to the place where he would read on that day. I love this. Our Lord Yeshua did not need to do Bible bingo. Hiding in the back of the church. I wonder what am I going to talk about. No. They had the portion scriptures assigned per Sabbath. This was the reading. He was the right place at the right time. The Hebrew Bible calls it et ratzon. The time of grace. The time of acceptance. The time when heaven smiles upon you. This is God's will for you and for you and for you and for me. To live in et ratzon. Listen to me. Appointed times, we have been born for that purpose, to walk with him, to talk with him. And if we don't know what to do, then we stop and we pray and we consult and we beg God, maybe even, God forbid, go on a fast and ask him to speak a living word. Open doors that no man can shut. Shut doors that no man can open. And he walks into his own synagogue and they hand him the scroll of the book and they point it with a long silver finger that they still have in the synagogues until today. And he reads this word, Isaiah 61. The spirit of the... Here's the spirit again. In every junction, in every point of importance in human history, nothing happens without the supervision of the spirit of the living God, the one we celebrate here today. We try. The Spirit of the living God is upon me. He didn't just make a statement. He explains. Because He has anointed me. That's pretty confident. To do three things. You have to read the Scriptures slowly and intentionally. Three things. One. To declare the good tidings to the poor. Two, to heal the brokenhearted. Three, to proclaim liberty to the captives. The opening of the prisons to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Shnat Ratzon, a time of grace, divine favor. Heaven smiles over us. You better believe it. I better believe it. Are we walking in the favor of the Lord or are we still self-condemned? Because the devil, oh, he's good. Satan, we call him in the Hebrew scriptures. Satan. It's not a name. His name is Hillel ben Shachar, the son of the morning star. Satan is his job description. It's a verb. He is the accuser. And you know that voice. Yeah? I know you know. I know that I know that you know, that I know, that voice. We all agree? And he accuses our regrets, our mistakes, sins of commission and sins of omission a million, a million times that we missed the mark. But he walks right into his destiny and he says, I am anointed by the Spirit of Jehovah, the great God of Israel, to do two things. To heal, to proclaim, 
and to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. Three personalities in the history, in the life of the people of God, Israel, existing from age to age, from chapter to chapter. Only the priest is authorized to heal the people. Only the prophets is authorized to speak with anointing and declare God's good tidings. And only the king of Israel is authorized when he sits upon the throne to declare the year of Jubilee. And if you don't remember what that is, it is total liberation. A complete restart of your life. Free from the sins of the past. Free from regrets. Total erasure of debts. Crazy. Truth is, Israel never fully lived up to the year of Jubilee. It was too much. It would ruin the economy. It would wreck the banking system. What would the credit company cards do? And Jesus said, in a sense, at his own home synagogue, the Spirit of the living God is upon me because he has anointed me to do exactly these three things. I and the priest who will heal you. I am the prophet who is declaring to you. And I am the king who is setting you free. That's what he said. He closed the book. And he sat down. And Luke tells us that every eye was fixed on him. Why? Because in the Hebrew Jewish synagogue environment, we stand up to read the word of God. And then we sit down. To teach the word of God. What will he say? He just quoted to them the apportioned scripture for that Sabbath. He walked into a prepared text. And, and, and this is the nuclear messianic proclamation, I believe, in all of scripture. One of the best, in my opinion. What will he say? And he sat down. Opened his mouth. Luke says... And told them, today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Bang. And that's how it started. He didn't start easy. He must have missed the book, How to Make Friends and Gain Influence Over People by Carnegie. He must have missed that at the synagogue in Nazareth someday. You know, he didn't do nothing. Nothing was right. He shut. The opening shot. And that day, they tried to kill him. That day. And that's how it started. All by the Spirit. The testimony of Israel is all by the Spirit. When the Lord God spoke to the prophets of Israel, and he says, I will bring you back to the land, and I will rebuild you. Ezekiel describes a valley full of dry bones, useless, hopeless, good-for-nothing bones. My grandfather of blessed memory came into this country 100 years ago on foot from Russia. He walked for one year. The dry bones were coming back to life. And against all hope, we have a nation. We have a people. We are standing up. The startup nation. The Israeli shekel is one of the strongest currencies in the world. We have an army. We have an air force. We have a navy. We even have a government. God help them every day. In spite of them, we manage. We have our own enemies. We have our own dangers. We have our own criminals. We are a real people. David Ben-Gurion, one of our legendary 
leaders and the first prime minister said, when we will have our own prisons and our own criminals, we know we have come to life as a nation. Where we do. And in the middle of the vision of the dry bones, God says to the prophet, yet they are still dead. Pray for the Spirit to come upon them. Our own promises as a nation has to do with the promise of the Spirit. Zechariah prophesied 2,450 years ago that God will send His Spirit to this city. And He will open up wells of prayer and of supplication in Judah and in Jerusalem for repentance. We can't even repent without the aid, the intercession, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Everything is by the work of the Spirit. And the birthing of the Lord, I love that testimony. In Luke in chapter 1, when the angel Gabriel shows up in Nazareth and talks with a little Jewish maiden, a virgin, she was what, 12? 13? Maximum 14 years old. And he tells her that God has chosen her to bring forth the Son of the living God, the Savior. And you will call his name Yeshua. And the question of questions, the beautiful question of Mary, is my question and should be your question. When Mary said to the angel, Luke 1 verse 34, how can this be since I do not know a man? It's a good question. How can God work this miracle in me? How can I get rid of the addictions? How can I get rid of my temper? How can I get rid of my past? How can I get rid of my fears? How can I get rid of the demons? How can I get rid of my flesh? I live with this thing. How can this thing be? Verse 33, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit, always the Spirit. At every turn, at every juncture, every time there's a miracle, every time there's a good thing happening, look for him. Look for her, if you would. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. One verse, and the Trinity shows up again in 14 words. Or less, the Almighty will overshadow you, the Spirit will come into you, and the Son will be formed inside of you. So that's a good question. That's my question. Perhaps it's yours as well. How can these things be? How can God work this kind of a miracle? For He desires, Paul writes to the Galatians, to form His Son in me. You realize that? It's not about just getting saved out of hell and bounced into heaven so we can play games for eternity. No. No, no, no. God is serious to train sons and daughters unto himself who will surround his throne forever and eternity. People of character, people of passion, people of faith, people of devotion. People of humility and repentance. People who, who love the real thing. Jesus tells us about the Holy Spirit in the upper room at the Last Supper. The Passover meal when he revealed himself to Israel. The night before the cross. And he says, I will send to you another comforter. 
the spirit of truth. In the Greek language, there is no distinction between truth and reality. What the Lord said, in effect, I'm sending you the spirit of real. You are in a bad movie. I'm giving you the real thing. Are you willing to wake up? Take the blue pill, or was it the red? Are you willing? And so his birth, his baptism, he goes into the water by John, and John says, I saw the heaven opens up, and the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove, and remained. I love this. The little words in the Scriptures. Because the Spirit descended here and there. He anointed Moses, and he anointed Aaron, and he anointed Samuel, and he anointed David. He anointed a whole bunch of our prophets and kings, but he rested upon him and remained. What a life, uninterrupted, endless anointing. Undisturbed fellowship with the Father, with His purpose, with His motives, with His program. I want this kind of life. I hope, I pray, I labor, I fast, I wait for this kind of life. To form in me. Everything important that happened in the scriptures. By the spirit. In the portions of scriptures that we have read today. In closing. John in chapter 7. If you would. If you'd like to put a title above that particular portion of scripture in your Bible. And if you're taking notes. You can write down the Lord Yeshua's mission statement. I think so. John in chapter 7 tells us that he was in the feast, not just any feast, on the last. And the big day of the feast, we know that this was the feast of tabernacles. The longest, the happiest feast of all the feasts of Israel. The final of the seven feasts of the Lord. Our Lord Yeshua had a, had a thing for timing. He showed up at the right place, at the right time, with the right words. I want to be like that too. And for that, I need to be full of His Spirit. The temple courts are packed full, hundreds, tens of thousands of worshipers and intercessors. That was the internet. That was the social media. Everybody knew what everybody said in the temple courts. And He stands up on the last day, the great day of the feast. It places it about six months before the cross. So everything is getting tighter. Every word is strategic. Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Oh, ouch. So there's a prerequisite. Hmm. You have to thirst to start with. I love the prophecy of Amos chapter 8. God blesses us so good. Amos says at the end of days, God will send a famine in the earth. But not a hunger for bread, not a thirst for water, but for the hearing of the word of the Lord. Are you thirsty enough? Because that's the first condition the Lord laid upon us. Let those who are thirsty, okay, come. Second prerequisite. 
you got to get out of bed. You got to get off the screen. You got to open the book. You got to get on your knees. Whatever you have to do, you have to do something to come to Him. He wants us engaged. Yes, He is the sovereign Father. Yes, He will do as He pleases, but He will not compromise on your free choice. We've seen it from Genesis chapter right from the beginning. We are in this trouble because our beautiful Heavenly Father insists to maintain our free choice. Are you thirsty? Are you coming? And thirdly, are you drinking? You got to drink. I love the word in the Hebrew dialect. You got to take a shluk. Aaron, how do you say shluk in English? A shluk. All right. That's the word for you. Say with me, shluk. Say, shluk. That's a good drink on a hot day in a street corner right over a hot falafel. And you have to gulp it down with some fluids. And that's what the Lord says. You've got to be thirsty. You've got to make the effort. You've got to come. You've got to be present. You have to engage. You have to drink. And the rewards are out of these words. And he who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, he always based everything on as the Scripture has said. I love this. Our Lord Yeshua didn't come up with something. He didn't invent a new religion, as the Scripture says on the day of His resurrection. He takes most of that day to take a long stroll right where I live with my family. The road to Emmaus. And He's walking with two depressed disciples. And He's taking the whole day. You remember the Scripture. We won't take it up today. And he's talking to them, and he's getting it out of them, and they're depressed. Are you the only one who haven't heard what happened in Jerusalem? And starting in Moses and going through the prophets and the writings, that's the entire Old Testament. He opened the Scriptures and pointed them to all that is spoken of him. As the Scripture says. That's why we love the Word of God. That's why the apostle instructs us to have faith. Not just any kind of faith, not kind of blind trust, but faith that comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of Christ. Not just the Word of God. Everybody can quote the stories to you. The Word of Messiah, the interpretation of Messiah of the Word of God. Where is Jesus in the book? Because He's all over the place by the Spirit. And as he spoke those words of John, recorded in chapter 7, and he took them into the upper room for the final supper. And here we will close, and I would ask our good musicians to take your battle positions again. We need you to take us to heaven again, please, with a song that will give us some time to ruminate and to digest what we are hearing from the Word of God. And then we will go back into prayer. But the Lord, during the Passover meal, what the Gentile church calls the Last Supper, call it as you may, this was the longest 
single teaching of the Lord Yeshua. Probably longest than the Sermon on the Mount. And in the heart of it, he talks a lot about the coming of the Spirit. In fact, he says, it is better for you. Consider the context. He's talking to the guys, and he says, it is better for you that I depart, for if I do not go away, I cannot send the Spirit, but I must send him to you. Because John already interpreted for us that great saying in the temple. Because the Lord says, come, thirsty, drink deeply. Out of your bellies will come rivers of living waters. And this he spoke now. What we read so far in John 7 was the words in red that the scribes helped us to understand what were the words that the Lord himself spoke. But the next verse is John's interpretation of what he meant. And John writes, this he spoke concerning the Spirit, the water, the drinking, the thirsty, the coming. It's all for the Spirit. This is spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those who believe in Him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus, Yeshua, was not yet glorified. Basic New Testament theology. Our Lord was glorified. He ascended to the heavens. He seated on the right hand of the Father from which He promised to send us the promise of the Father, the blessed Holy Spirit. Every Hebrew prophet spoke about the Spirit. The future of this nation is hinging on the coming of the Spirit. The future of the church is hinging on the fellowship of the Spirit. The church is prospered in the book of Acts by the comfort of the Spirit. And here in the middle of the Lord's Supper, the last great Passover meal, the Lord is teaching us about the work of that Spirit. And He says to them, better for you to go till I can send Him to you. And when He has come, John 16, verse 8, He will convict the world of three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. No one else can do that. In fact, the Lord gave the Spirit great attributes. The Spirit can teach. The Spirit can search our hearts. The apostle says the Spirit of God has a mind of its own, a will, a love. John says that the love of the Spirit may abide with you. We can grieve the Spirit. Huh? Did you know that? We can, we can resist the Spirit, the prophets told us. And here the Lord Yeshua says, only the Spirit of God has what it takes to convict the world. Masses upon masses of people in stupor, asleep in darkness, dead in the Spirit. And only He can come and do this work, convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And He explains, of sin because they do not believe in Me. Have you ever considered that? This is the teachings of the Lord Himself. He gives you the definition of the super sin, the sin of sins. Every other sin, we can repent. We can regret. We can come like David, beg for mercy. But if we don't believe that Jesus is who He is, and that what He says is what He means, and that His Word have power, 
then there's no remedy for us. Then we are stuck in a nightmare forever. Only he can convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. And of righteousness because I go to my Father. Hallelujah. Our Lord rose. The last word, perhaps the biggest word, the most important word in all the Bible, the last words of our Lord in his previous life on the cross. What did he say? It is finished. Nishlam in the Hebrew language. Telestai in the Greek. What's finished? Your problems are finished. Our sins are finished. The condemnation of the devil is finished. The iniquities that we have drank from a thousand generations before us is finished. Every lie of the devil is finished. Every demon in hell is finished. Oh, they can make a lot of noise. But he said, it's done. And having worked atonement for sins, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, presented his blood upon the altar built without hands. The altar that John the Apostle saw when he ascended into the heavens, the last guy alive. All the other apostles have long been slain, slaughtered, violently killed, and they cannot kill John. Probably because the Lord spoke to him upon the shores of the Sea of Galilee long ago and told him, told the other guys, what do you care if this one lives on until I come? I think John believed it. I think John believed he's going to live forever. They couldn't kill him. They couldn't slaughter him. They couldn't crucify him. They couldn't burn him in oil, church tradition tells us. So they threw him out to the Isle of Patmos. That's great. No internet. No connectivity. Shut him down. Silence the message. And on the island of Patmos, in the worst of conditions, a political prisoner, he gets the greatest revelation of all, which we quote today. You can't stop our God. We are on the winning side. Just have to believe his word. Believe and let the Spirit work in us. Righteousness because I go to my Father. And judgment because the ruler of this world is already judged. Yes, we have a lot of warfare on our hands. But we come from a position of utter and complete victory. Do we agree? All right, let's stand together. Let's worship the Lord with song. Let's let the Holy Spirit work in our hearts. If you need to do any business with God, this altar is open. We will come to the Lord's table after this time of worship. So prepare your hearts, and we'll go for prayer after this song. Go ahead. Let's hold that spirit in our hearts, and let us pray together. There may be some among us who need more. I do. More of those living waters. Maybe some of us, like Nicodemus, who came to the Lord at night, saying, well, we know this and we know that, and the Lord says, Nick, you got to be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit, Spirit. 
If you need to say yes to Jesus and you never have, pray with me. If you need to receive more of His presence, the blessed Holy Spirit, the gift that He provides it, pray with me. We'll pray right now and then we'll go through the prayers in our prayer book. If you need to repeat after me, if not, just agree. For many of our friends around the world, those who watch us online, you're part of the family. You're part of this house. You are with us. So, Father, Heavenly Father, Avinu Shabashamayim, we pray tonight in the name of the Lord Yeshua. For those of us whose hearts are empty, fill us. For those of us who are thirsty, satisfy us. For those who are lost, come, Good Shepherd. Look for us. Find me, Lord. For those who are stuck and trapped, set me free. In the name of the Lord, Yeshua, we bless one another. We bless the family of faith, all those who are with us tonight in one spirit. And we magnify the Lord, our God, and we pray for more of your spirit. Father, none of our works, none of them can do all our filthy rags. But your righteousness, your perfect character. For you told us so many times, abide in me. Abide in me and I shall abide with you. Abide in my word and my presence will abide in you. My word will come to pass in your life. Abide. Hang on. Remain. Persevere. And the life of the Son of God shall break through in our lives, in our homes. Father, you promised us physical healing. We stand believing, requesting today. You promised our psychological relief, peace of mind, shalom. We stand believing this day for one another. And if you need to receive the Lord as your Savior today, you go ahead and put your hand on your heart and we'll pray together. If you have never said to the Lord, I need you. I need to be saved. I was lost. I must be found. And so we pray together, great shepherd of the flock, Yeshua, the son of the living God, may you be glorified in each of these dear lives. My brothers, my sisters, those here, those at home, those who are near and those who are far, the great and the small, the weak and the strong, glorify thy name in us. We receive you, Savior of my soul, our Lord Yeshua. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen is appropriate. I agree. Go ahead, say with me. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.